Welcome to the Riverdale Writers Room, a fan-made podcast where two girlfriends compete head-to-head to predict the series finale of Riverdale before it airs. Together, we will embark on a three-phase journey wherein we'll rewatch the series, write our own version of season seven, and then compare our own creations to the real deal. Is Riverdale truly unpredictably campy, or can we successfully hack into the psyche of the writers? Join us as we try to conjure the spirits within the real Riverdale writer's room. There is no single way to tell a story. You're each to write your own version of the ending. In whatever style you choose. Best story wins. Challenge accepted. Well, wowie. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome to the Riverdale writer's room. um, Or the panic room. I don't know. <laughs> the freak out room. Welcome back to Riverdale. The season is upon us. Season seven has begun officially. How do we feel? I feel ecstatic beyond belief. I cannot believe what I just saw, but I loved it. Everything caught me off guard. Everything was so good. It was better than I could have hoped for, to be honest. It was all less expected, you know? It was kind of like an expect the unexpected sort of feeling (laughs) that I had. Yeah, everything that happened, I was like, why didn't I think of that? I know. It's like everything that I thought of, I was like, obviously that was a first draft idea. Like, they spent a lot more time in the writer's room, the real writer's room, like, thinking these ideas through and plotting them all the way to the end to see if they hold up. And then they must have gone back and like done it for multiple different plot lines, different ideas that they had. Unless you think they're flying by the seat of their pants. I think they might be. (laughs) You know, watching this, I was surprised about how interconnected the plots weren't. Yeah. They were all very separate. It was very bouncy around. Jughead had his own thing going on. Varchi had their own thing going on. And the Betty, Tony, Tabitha had mm-hmm. their own thing going on. That's kind of how I envisioned it, to be honest. Like, everyone who... Because they don't remember each other in their old relationships, like, their new relationships are a lot more distant, you know? Because in, in Riverdale Prime, they've had so many life experiences leading up to that, that... Even a random pairing like Archie and Kevin would have like a lot more emotional depth than any of the pairings in the 50s. Well, that's not the part that surprised me. I just mean like the lack of overlap between the plots. Well, that's what I mean. Like if they don't have emotional depth between each other, like why would they have a lot of similar plot things going on? Just for the sake of the plot. (laughs) Just because it's fun. I guess it would be fun. Okay, so let's dive into it. Season 7, Episode 1, Chapter 118, Don't Worry Darling. Yowza. So we start off in the 50s. Um, Jughead says they've been there for two days. No one remembers anything. They're living in an abandoned, or he's living in an abandoned train car, not his trailer. A train car of all things. I know. Why didn't I think of a train car? That oh, makes... because it doesn't make any fucking sense. Exactly. It doesn't. The ghost train car? Oh. 
Does did Riverdale have no Riverdale had train tracks before because they did the whole like like stand by me thing where they were walking down the train tracks just Archie and Jughead. Wasn't that outside of Riverdale? That was on their way out of Riverdale. Okay. I think. I don't know. Anyway, so he's living in a train car with hot dogs. It's the Blossom Twins. Jason is not there, which honestly, I don't know why I put Jason in there in my season one, because this supports my theory that anyone who was like represented in Riverdale in some sort of physical, like their body or or symbolic way, um, like the Julian doll, the portrait of Hiram, the Abigail doll, that they would be in the 50s because they were in Riverdale at the time. So that would support my theory, but I still put Jason in there. <laughs> I don't know how to do it to him. They will not let him speak. <laughs> you wanted to give him a fair shot at speaking. I did. I wanted to let Jason live, and they said he, he must not live. Um, so it's just the twins. It's Julian and, um, and Cheryl. Their relationship is very interesting um, to see, especially since we never really got to see her develop a twin relationship with Jason. Um, Tabitha, Tony, Clay, and pretty much any other POC student at Riverdale High pull up at the bus stop outside of Pops, um, having just been in Mississippi for the trial of the for the murderers of Emmett Till. What did you make of that? Because... This feels like it's happening like at the back to school, like September. So they did play with the timeline of Emmett Till's murder. Because the I believe the trials were just beginning around September and they ended in like October, November. But they have it in Riverdale ending in September. Does that matter to you? How do you think about that? I don't know. It was really confusing. Mm-hmm. Because when... Jughead said the shit about Bailey's Comet being two years off. I was like, yes, and that's why I abandoned this theory. Mm-hmm. Um, which made me think that Ross really cares for some reason about specific dates. Yeah. So for that to be a little bit off is a bit weird. Right. Like, if they were willing to play with the dates and timelines of things, like, the comet would be happening in 55 instead of 57 like it was supposed to but it's not it's happening when it's supposed to so it's like it's i don't know the rules of this universe and the timeline don't don't really feel like they make sense yet um so that's pretty much like the intro scene what did did you have did you have any thoughts about it i just kind of rambled my notes are so disjointed. I put these on my phone on notepad, which I never do. And I only have like weird broken phrases that just are like... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listeners, I've showed Chantal my phone and that was the genuine reaction. So <laughs> it I am very stoned right now. If you couldn't tell. The amount of red underlining... Like, nothing was typed correctly. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of things are proper nouns that I don't capitalize. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Most of these are, actually. So (laughs) I want an apology. (laughs) I apologize sincerely on the record. Thank you. Um, Okay, so let's just move on. Um, The next thing we jump to is Mary doesn't want 
Archie to be driving his hot rod. Um, not because Fred died in a car accident, so you don't get that point. No, he died in the Korean War. Yeah. Sad. Alas. Um, but she's afraid that Archie's going to get into an accident because of the photos that she saw about James Dean. So that's the start of their plot line. It's a very minimal plot line. Yeah, I thought the shots of Archie riding his bike was because his car broke down. Mm-hmm. And you would see him fixing it on the side of the road. Yeah, he only ever fixed it inside of his garage. Yet. I feel like at some point he will be fixing his car on the side of the road. He also didn't forget his homework. (laughs) (laughs) I loved KJ this episode, though. He really has stepped up his game. I have a note in here. And do you know what it says? What? Tell me. KJ is out acting Cole alert. All caps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Cole was not giving. Cole was not giving. KJ was acting circles around him. It was truly impressive. That whole scene in the gym, I was scared. I felt like he was yelling at me. KJ read that New York Times article and said, I gotta step it up. Yeah. He's like, composite lumber. What does that even mean? (laughs) He learned. Good for him. You know what? He is gonna, he's gonna be serving left and right. Even in his, like, goofiness, it was very on par. The way he runs upstairs five steps at a time. And (laughs) yeah, he has, like, no real interests. (laughs) This is, like, the way that he's playing 50s Archie feels very, like, high school Fred inspired. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. just a regular... He's just, like, a jock country boy. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, (laughs) We'll get to that. Betty is the editor-in-chief of the Blue and Gold. Do I get that point? I'm pretty sure we both have that point. Do we both have that as a point? Editor-in-chief? Yeah. Okay. I put she's the editor of the newspaper. Okay. I didn't say editor-in-chief, but I didn't have anybody else be the editor. Okay. Okay. That wasn't what I meant by that. Okay. I meant it in the sense that... Is it just a given that Betty's the editor because she's always the editor? Or do I get a point for also saying she's an editor in this universe? I think anything could anything could have happened in this universe. Kevin is pretending to be straight in this universe. I think you should get a point for Betty being the editor. Okay. She could have not been easily. So we both get a point. Yes. Okay. Um, so why don't you tell us what happened next? All right. So next... Tony brings her fabulously written article to Betty. Betty says it's a great article, one of the best she's ever read. And so true. She takes a minute of convincing, but she agrees to set up a meeting with Mr. Featherhead, already suspecting that he's not going to want to publish this. Right. Because apparently Betty has already tried to publish stuff about this. Interesting. She did say that, right? I think. Or things like it. I don't remember. I don't remember if it, if it was if she if it was just things like it. I think I get a point. Well, I'll argue this later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> so that's the start of their plot. They decide to try to say something about Emma Till's murder because they both feel it's important. Um, Betty being an ally. Immediately after 
Betty tries to warn Tony that Principal Featherhead is not a very understanding kind. We see him walk into the classroom and introduce Veronica to the masses, to everybody, the whole class. He's obviously starstruck. She obviously knows she's all that. Um, That's all you have to say about her introduction with the sexy saxophone music? (laughs) Are you kidding me? No, that's not all. It was iconic. <laughs> the The slow shot of her like leaning in the door frame, starting at the shoe all the way up to the top. The femme fatale type of music too with the saxophone. It was giving very, um, I don't know. I don't know what it was giving. It was just giving. <laughs> I know what it was giving. Tell me. Song of the episode. <gasps> oh. Song of the episode. Is that an award we're giving? I just decided I would give it right we're now. We're gonna be doing it. Um, <laughs> in that case, my song of the episode was the rocking around the clock at the very beginning. <laughs> song of the episode. Um, the intro sequence with all of them, like in their little bubbles, as if it were a TV show. I'm surprised it it's not like. Show. The subtle piano theme before. You know what? It could have been that too. But that song, I just felt so much giddiness inside of me. It felt like the start of a concert. You know, when the lights are down and it's like, and like they're just like teasing you with intro music. It was feeling like that in my body. (laughs) (laughs) But for a TV show that I was initially hesitant to watch. (laughs) So it was just a very jarring moment for me to be watching the premiere of a show that I never thought I'd be this into, feeling that intensely physically. <laughs> All right. So Rockin' Around the Clock has my song of the episode. Moving on. What did you think of the Oh Miha TV show? I I don't know what to think. I want to see I want to see a clip of it. I, I want to see a clip of it so badly. Tilly Temple like instead of Shirley Temple mm-hmm. playing little Ronnie. Oh my god, wait. She was I have like to that little that bitch. Fake, <laughs> that little bitch. I have to add that to fake brand names. <laughs> That's an actor's name. It's not a fake name. Yeah, but we have fake brand names like I would I would say the Wall Street Journal is a proper noun, but they call it the Wall Beat Journal. It's anything Is a person a brand now? Is that what we're saying about the world? Okay, in my document, it started off as fake brand names, but then it quickly grew into um, other things, including brands. Like, just any name that was, like, any proper noun that has been altered for the sake of Riverdale. So, it includes the Baxter Brothers, Tracy True, the Wallby Journal, San, uh, Swellagrino. I'm going to also have it include names. Okay. Is Dina Letham in there? You best believe she is. <laughs> okay. Just making sure you're staying consistent. Yeah. Of course I am. Okay. Okay. We're getting off track though. Um, so after she's introduced, they immediately cut to the lunch scene. The infamous one that's been circling on Twitter about um, talking about James Dean, Cheryl literally being homophobic. It still caught me off guard when he was, when Archie was like, he just seemed like so normal like a cowboy (laughs) it's almost like they're planting the seeds of a western episode 
a Western episode and also a lot of gay shit for Kevin. Yeah, why the hell would they put this line in here? Also, am I crazy? <laughs> I have I wrote down here Julian quotation marks hi Larius L A R I U S. Why did he say it like that? Hilarious. He said hilarious. He did. I was he just like trying to be like swanky with his language try to be funny was he overcompensating in the presence of this new starlet i guess so is archie also overcompensating <laughs> like a cowboy like a cowboy perhaps <laughs> but i do feel like that's something archie would say with or without veronica present i guess you're right <laughs> um after that jughead is in class he finds out about bailey's comment that's coming up but in like three years two years two years you're right I knew that. I knew it was 57, but I still said three years. Um, I'm not good at math. So I think the distance between their current place in history and Bailey's Comet is probably very upsetting for Jughead to hear, especially when we find out later how close he was to feeling like he really had gone crazy. Um, But yeah, then we get a lot of really cute shots of uh, Cheryl or like Veronica I don't know. You say the next thing. (laughs) Do you have thoughts about Jughead hearing about Bailey's comment? Not really. Okay. Moving on. This was interesting when Veronica got a ride from Julian after school, Mm -hmm. ousting Cheryl from her shotgun seat. The only other seat in the car. (laughs) Julian really said, walk, bitch. Yeah. He said, use them or lose them in regards to Cheryl's feet. (laughs) And did you notice Sharchi looked repulsed by each other? Yeah, they were like, ugh. And they walked in opposite directions. Like, he wasn't going to give Cheryl a ride, even though that would have been the gentlemanly thing to do. He said, fuck it, you can walk. I have no idea how they're going to get to a Sharchi marriage by, like, episode three. There is no hint of it. No, there's nothing. There's nothing that could make that feel real. Maybe it's going to be like a <laughs> a Finn Hudson, Quinn Fabray. They were in the swimming pool at the same time <laughs> kind of situation. No. No. You're right. No. I, I think it's going to be, I don't know. I don't want to say too much. Not yet. Okay. That's two episodes away. I have an idea though. Oh. So then we go back inside the school to Betty and Tony talking to Principal Featherhead about the article that they want to publish. And he says that Dr. Werther's doesn't think it's a good idea for children to be reading something like that because he's a child psychologist. And then we find out Dr. Werther's is Mr. DuPont, the man who committed a defenestration. And I feel like his presence in the 50s is proof that we will be getting a lethal defenestration. And I can cross that off my bingo. Not yet. Not it's coming, yet. though. It's coming. It's it's coming. <laughs> oh, was I happy to see him. <laughs> it does feel like the recasting of these actors who've already been here in other roles is somewhat intentional. Like Midge? Not really Midge. I mean, like, Featherhead, who was someone else now being cast from Warden Norton's role. 
and this child therapist cast from Mr. DuPont's role. Mm-hmm. I can tell these people are villains immediately. Right away, yeah. Because they carry the same look. They didn't even bother to make them look like a different character. And I think, I think it's for a reason. I really do feel like the things that happen in Riverdale Prime are going to start unfolding in this one. The knot between universes is going to be really hard for Tabitha to untangle. And I think part of what we'll see that in is the events of Riverdale Prime bleeding into this. I really think that that prediction is going to happen. That was my, that's the one I feel the most confident in after this episode. I really think Mr. DuPont, maybe I'm just hopeful that he's going to jump out a window and kill himself again so that I can get that bingo. (laughs) I don't know. In any case, the girls are told no once again. So then Betty takes the Emmett Till story to her parents. And Hal runs the nightly broadcast at RIVW. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting that in the 50s, I don't know, I just assume that in the 50s, everyone listened to radio for their news. Yeah. Or read the papers. So I thought that they would still be like running the newspaper more than a broadcast. I know. It was more so to be consistent with what Alice was doing in season six mm-hmm. than it was to be what would make a good plot consistency you're right and perhaps it'll play into something later too that we don't know yet maybe they have to have a, a broadcast instead of a newspaper for some reason but i do feel like i should get half a point because they are a little bit censoring what betty can and can't see and what they want the town to see and what they don't want the town to see you said something about betty's parents censoring things mm-hmm. from her yeah Let me see. Though her parents are journalists too, Betty's life is highly censored, and she didn't even know about the lynching until Tabitha explained the events to her. She didn't know about it, though. She did, but her parents are censoring her life. I did write that her life is highly censored because she had to be secretive when Tony gave her the pamphlet, the newsletter that had the images. She had to be secretive and, like, sneak them in an envelope into her bedroom to look at them so that her parents wouldn't, like, take it away. The school is telling her what she can and can't say. Her parents are telling her and the town what they can and can't see, what is and isn't appropriate. I think I should get a half a point for the Coopers being fans of censorship. Okay. 0.5. 0.5. Thank you. I'll remember that. (laughs) That kindness. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I hope you do. I certainly will. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting for Betty's character that right off the bat, she's so like BLM, but in the 50s. I wasn't expecting any of the characters who play good characters Mm -hmm. to display any amount of racism whatsoever. Right. So it didn't really surprise me a whole lot. I didn't expect them to portray any racism at all, but I also didn't expect that much allyship. I like it. I like it too. Don't get me wrong. I'm obsessed with it. I just didn't think Cheryl would be down for the movement, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Although that was great. I think they handled it a lot better than they could have, is what I'm saying. I'm surprised by how well they handled it. And I think you told me something earlier, that at least this episode had been co-written by um, a black person. And so that that's 
probably at least in part so that they could maintain some sort of like authenticity and like sense of justice for the story of Emmett Till the event so that way they didn't like completely butcher it and like be entirely disrespectful because I feel like they haven't handled even I mean not necessarily race before but queerness has been totally like it's been discussed in a way that just felt totally uncared for I don't know Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Kevin Kevin (laughs) (laughs) Kevin's character in as an existence like is homophobic (laughs) the fact that he exists the way that he did homophobic (laughs) kevin existing homophobic (laughs) it's like everything about him (laughs) no but but i agree when i saw that emmett till was going to be in the plots plot synopsis my reaction was not oh cool it was oh no yeah i hope they don't do something really fucked up right now yeah um, and it didn't seem like they did, no. which is good. Um, yeah. This subject matter in a really campy show is maybe not the best. Yeah. But it wasn't written in the most disrespectful way. So that's a point. Exactly. Especially like the conversation at the end. And it, it seems like after Angel Tabitha, what she told Jughead to at the end, seems like that's going to be, it was just like the most obvious issue of the 1950s that they could point to and be like do you see how they're handling this this is already different than the real 1950s and therefore like they're paving a way for like a better alternate future for tabitha to get them back to or whatever it seemed like they were just trying to make a point about the direction that the show's gonna take this this season yeah and the words that jughead writes down at the end the bend towards justice Mm -hmm. that was kind of the theme of the episode yeah as well as i guess what the rest of the season will be yeah anyway the <laughs> next thing um i'm i'm honestly can i feel like we can breathe a sigh of relief you know yeah like, i was worried that they were just going to explore the darkness of the 50s and i think that they are going to touch on that but bending toward justice thank god you know it could have been so bad um I think you're right that there's something to the fact that it's such a campy show and they're dealing with like very real topics all of a sudden when before it was like just serial killers and cults and aliens. Yeah, I think that in general, they could have if they weren't going to go into the 50s, just, you know, given their characters of color, more screen time and better plot lines and etc. But I think going back to the 50s does kind of require them to talk about this Mm -hmm. because to just ignore it would be bad yeah and to just be racist towards all the black characters would be bad yeah um i am disappointed that tabitha's just leaving it seems a little fucked up that they're like oh racism sucks but also tabitha's not gonna have a significant part of this season for a while yeah like does she have like a conflict or something i hope so i hope that's the reason i'm also hoping that in if it's not like a conflict thing perhaps she'll be in the episodes just as angel tabitha not 1950s tabitha but that still kind of sucks i i would have loved to see that character developed in the 50s especially with her chronokinesis she has already been there which by the way didn't she give that away to cheryl yeah hmm 
Unless it's part of her angel powers, in which she can't give away like being an angel. But I thought I thought you were right that the chronokinesis did go to Cheryl. Anyway, the next thing that happens is Archie is in his garage with Jughead. They're talking. Jughead's being a bad friend, ignoring him because he's thinking about the future timeline. Um, Archie's just like, man, I've got the hots for Ronnie um, <laughs> while fixing up his little hot rod. And then he's like, where's my dad's hammer? Weird that I can't find it. And Jughead, deus ex machina, remembers <laughs> the time capsule and goes to dig it up. And there's somebody in the woods watching him as he's digging out this time capsule beyond the football field, behind the bleachers, in the line of trees, someone is watching. And at this point, we don't know who it is. At this point. At this point. So then we move on. The next morning, because we cut to, I think there was like a commercial break. Um, Veronica runs into Archie outside of school, sees his car. She's like, wow, you got a car. Um, Jughead's like, emergency meeting, music room. And then they all go and he does the whole <laughs> time capsule reveal. Tell me what you thought about that. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I had already seen this scene released last week. But it was a joy to watch it again on the big screen. Especially with more detail. The lead up. (laughs) Kevin saying, an inch of what? Hedwig and the angry inch? An inch of what? (laughs) Ah, That's what I mean. He feels homophobic. (laughs) Well, it's also just them playing into the innocence, right? They're all kind of like innocent to lots of things. They are. They are. That's the censorship of the 50s. I think also because it doesn't exist yet, Kevin's like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen a playbill before in my life. (laughs) What are you talking about? Musical theater? (laughs) Oh, haha, musical theater. An organ harvesting call. (laughs) Hee hee. The Spotify product placement? Insane. How are they going to continue to do product placements? I think they're probably just going to have to do like one of two things. They're either going to have to show older branding, like classic branding, like think like Coke bottles instead of the cans, you know, or like, I don't know, just vintage like Reebok, whatever, whatever products they end up having. I think they're going to have to show older versions of branding or design new branding that looks vintage for the sake of the show. I don't know that everyone's going to want to do that. So I think what's more likely going to happen is a second option where they're going to fit all of the product placements into the second half of the show (laughs) when they're back in their timeline. (laughs) I think we're just going to get like bam, 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 like one after the other. You know, I think they're filming episode 13 right now and it looks like it's still 50s unless they're hiding some modern costumes from us intentionally. Which is is possible. possible. Yeah. It's possible Rass was like, only show stuff in your 50s costumes and not in any other timeline. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that they could be showing stuff from filming earlier episodes. They could be filming, yeah, like you said, like episode 13 could be in the modern time, but they're still doing like throwback to like filming the third or fourth episode or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Jughead has a moment where he suggests his idea of a Barchi makeout on top of a bed with a bomb under it. And this is what really activates Archie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he 
looked so concerned the whole time Jughead was going on his rant. He was his only friend that really cared about him. Yeah. The fact that he pulled him aside and was like, no, let's go talk. Let's cool down. Like, what's going on with you? Like, this is, you can't be in your head like this. And he was so supportive. He was like, you should keep writing your comics. Mm -hmm. Like, tell your little stories, but not to us. Yeah. He's like, don't, don't try to make the stories about our lives in, like, make them affect our lives like this. Like, that's not right. Your stories are stories, not real fact. And KJ served in that moment. He did. I felt so like, I felt like I was being like the one being talked to. Like that was like a POV. Archie's worried about your mental health. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I felt cared for. (laughs) I really did too. I am looking forward to seeing more of him. Me too. This season. He seems really like sweet and innocent. Um. One of the next things that we'll get to is the date. And I feel like he was just so, like, I don't know, simple, but in, like, a sweet way, you know? I don't know. Let's just take our time getting there. Um, It was kind of sad, though, to see how hurt Jughead looked. Yeah. He was really hurt about the thinking that he was crazy. Yeah. He almost got committed to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Neither of us put Jughead goes to Sisters of Quiet Mercy. I think Mercy. he was exaggerating. You think so? Yeah. I think he was like, Archie almost threw me in there. Like, didn't he say like, Archie almost threw me to the sisters? I thought he said something like, Archie is planning to. Oh, I, I didn't hear it that way. I heard it more as like a, I wouldn't be surprised if this was happening you know i heard it like get me out of here i'm gonna get thrown in there oh damn well well he forgot now so that's true he's probably safe now at this point so then we see penelope enter this penelope enters the chat (laughs) um (laughs) i love penelope blossom she's such a good character i loved the way she was styled too with the black dress with the red flower on it i was like yeah that's a blossom that's a blossom fit right there it was interesting how she walked in on like i don't know the relationship between julian and cheryl feels like they hate each other yeah more brother sistery yeah but maybe that's how she was with jason and we just don't ever see that because he's dead so why would she imagine them fighting and stuff that probably feels bad that's true but she was always like i love jason we were best friends like it doesn't seem like her and julian are best best friends like they seem like they hate each other (laughs) bestie she's like julian bestie give me a ride home he says bitch walk (laughs) um uh, but anyway so then she gets the magazines and goes um she finds out on the magazine cover that the movie that veronica was supposedly cast in and so that that she was doing research for and being in riverdale for that reason was cast to someone else and then so she takes the magazine down to pops and interrupts their date jacques (laughs) cheryl interrupting of archie date do i get a point it was not in the same manner but it was interrupting of archie date it was the same event i'll give you the point yay (laughs) um so you get that that was so funny to me though when she walks in and she's like shakis like cheryl (laughs) 
silly. And then she goes up, slams it down on the table, and it's like, what are you really doing here? <laughs> like She just, yells it. She gets the attention of everyone in that diner. If smartphones had been a thing, everyone would have been filming that confrontation. Yeah, and they would have taken it outside into a fight, and then everyone would have filmed that. Exactly. Um, it was really... It was really intense to see Cheryl be like that forwardly bitchy because I feel like she's more I feel like she's more subtle with it in the future. You know, she has a lot more anger in the 50s, which makes more sense. Like it makes sense. She has to hide like her sexuality to another degree that she didn't in like growing up in modern times, you know, Mm -hmm. like she and Heather probably wouldn't have been as like openly queer with each other as kids in the 50s so her anger i think makes sense then varchi go to the um pembroke um she's crying he's comforting her he's like don't worry that's just what cheryl's like don't take it personally and she's like but it is personal because i have lied to you (laughs) and she reveals that she's not her parents baby oh mija is her parents baby and she's just a problem that they shipped away Do I get a point for Veronica hiding her original reason for being in Riverdale? I think that was a given. Okay. That was kind of like told to us in the promo. Was it? In the synopsis, I feel like we kind of knew that. Like in the first trailer, we were like, obviously there was like some mystery around her, you know? Okay. She's a mysterious new starlet. Okay. (laughs) I'll remember this. I gave you a full point <laughs> for an event that didn't really happen the way that you said it would. Fine. I think we're I think we're even. Okay. Moving forward, we can determine the tone. But I feel like if you get a point for that, I get a point for that because like the whole rumors about her reason being in Riverdale thing was something I said that would happen. People don't really trust why she's there. Okay. But I said the reason that she was here was maybe because she's a vampire. (laughs) And that's not entirely out of the picture yet. Okay. If she's a vampire, you'll get a point. Okay. (laughs) I feel like TBD on this discussion. More like TBV. (laughs) Okay, fine. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, So anyway, Veronica also reveals quite notably that one of the real reasons her parents sent her away was she was one of the good time girls who was supposed to cheer on James Dean at his drag race that killed him. So I don't know. Something about that feels like maybe she's not even telling the full truth of it. But also, why would she reveal that so quickly to someone she just met? She was driving the car. (laughs) No, I don't know. We don't know yet. Um, I do think that there's more or that it's going to come up again and be explored. Um, I put down here, Archie sneaks home immediately caught by Mary in sexy pants. In sexy pants? Mary was wearing sexy pants. I didn't didn't notice that she was in pants. She was in pants, notably, because Archie had just revealed that his mom worked at the dress store part time, but she was not in a dress. She was in pants when he came home when he snuck in and they were like trousers that had like a nice like line pattern like a little gridded sort of thing they were beautiful it's an important detail you wrote down (laughs) it really is (laughs) 
Uh, Molly Ringwald was serving cunt, basically, is what I wrote. Um, and she catches Archie. They She reveals that she feels bad, like she doesn't want Archie to die in a car crash. She can't lose him and his dad. So they agree that Betty will unsoup his little car so it doesn't go faster than 20 miles per hour. His pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. <laughs> He's going to unsoup it. He's going to unsoup it. What does soup mean? I don't know. So Hermione calls Veronica about a boy that's in the apartment. How is she surveilling her? Is Smithers there? Is he telling on her? Perhaps it's Smithers. Perhaps it's another private eye type of person keeping an eye on her. Who? Who is associated with the lodges that's a private eye? Agent Adams? No, literally Edmosa. <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's a private investigator. That was her whole thing when she showed up. You think Edmosa is watching? Yes. I think it's Edmosa <laughs> keeping tabs on Veronica calling Hiram Daddy Lodge. Daddy, you wouldn't believe what Veronica's doing. She has a boy there. A white boy. <laughs> and then Hermione gets on the other line and is like, Veronica, kick that white boy out of my house. <laughs> I feel like it's Smithers. It's possible that it's Smithers, but I want to believe in the drama. I want to feel like she's being hunted by Edmosa. Because if you remember... In the last season, when Veronica calls a hit on Hiram, Edmosa calls her and says, you're a marked woman. So I feel like she was watching Veronica keeping tabs on her during the last few moments leading up to the comet. I think she was in Riverdale, like, investigating Veronica's dealings when the comet struck. When the comet struck? Struck. okay all right and so therefore she was physically present she was gonna be physically present so that's just my theory but you heard it here now so if it happens i get a point okay (laughs) moving on all right so back to the conclusion of the emmett till plot Mm -hmm. so betty looks at the pictures that tony lent her she decides that she wants to publish through the blue and gold anyway and tony says no We're gonna get Cheryl to read a poem on the morning announcements and she's gonna do what her parents will not allow Mm -hmm. on RAVW, which is the reason that Hal generally won't air the Emmett Till news story. Mm -hmm. And so they confront Cheryl in the bathroom. They do. And she agrees pretty easily. Yeah, she was just like, okay, sure. And then she does it. It's funny that it's Miss Bell. Because didn't Miss Bell replace someone else? Miss Phillips, yeah. Miss Phillips. So why isn't it Miss Phillips? It, w- it hasn't been Miss Phillips since season two. But where did she go? I don't know. I think maybe she got married or divorced. Oh. I don't know. It looks like the same actress, so. Okay. Well, it's Miss Bell. They made Tabitha pretend to pass out on the football field so that Miss Bell and Mr. Featherhead would have to rush to her with the smelling salts and the first aid kit, letting Cheryl to do the announcement by herself unattended. And then she very peacefully and eloquently introduces Tony, and um, then Tony introduces Langston Hughes's poem, 
Mississippi 1955 and reads it in a very beautiful tone. Like I think she did a great job reading it. And visually that moment was kind of stunning. Like very camp with the whole cross dissolves of Tony's face in the background. Um, Yeah, why were they doing the grease thing again? I don't know, but I loved it. With the big the big transparent face yeah i thought it was beautiful it was it was it was so campy and unnecessary but it added a little (laughs) zhuzh to the scene you know yeah a little visual zhuzh yeah Mm -hmm. it just gave a little something like a little spice to like just seeing the characters reactions Mm -hmm. we also got to see the delivery at the same time like i don't know i thought it was perfect and then they get to class afterwards and have a discussion about it which was shocking that that would happen in the 50s but was really cool it was i really liked that it did happen yeah i liked the discussion based uh part of it yeah in english class it was really well done it was really cool also that they centered the conversation around black voices like all the students of color got the opportunity to speak about the events the trial that they witnessed and like their feelings as like students of color like why it's important to them in this context um and it seemed like all of the white students were really opening to listening and there was a shot in this conversation that i thought was really interesting clay is first introduced in this scene and he says that after the horrible things were done to emmett till's body he was thrown into the river and after saying that his body was thrown into the river there's a really long lingering shot on julian's face and it seems like he's having like a deep reaction to the thought of being thrown into the river. That was interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's almost like he was remembering the experience of Jason, the twin think, that should have lived. Do you think that was intentional? I think it might not have been. I think it's possible that it wasn't, but it was sure funny. <laughs> And it, uh, it was my KO moment of the episode. <laughs> KO. Wow. It took me out of the scene so much to just like put the Blossom, the boy Blossom twin after hearing the words body thrown in the river. And that was the only slight disrespect that I could have ever felt in this episode to the Emmett Till um, event. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think it was intentional. So there's at least that. It was just my KO moment. (laughs) Right after one of the most beautiful moments of the episode, though. So after that, um, school is done for the day, pretty much. And Veronica walks outside and is faced with a decision. Archie and his little yellow and orange hot rod or Julian and his red ride. And Veronica looks them both up and down and decides that she is going to walk herself home, Um, which I thought was beautiful and good for her. Like she's really, that was a choice that I don't think Riverdale Prime Veronica would have easily made for herself. Yeah, that was interesting. It seems like 50s Veronica is in touch emotionally Mm-hmm. with her present self and maybe this is what ross meant when he said they would have an emotional memory yeah like veronica has an emotional memory of choosing between someone who is shallow and someone who's earnest mm-hmm. and the other words she used to describe exactly, both of them yeah. julian's kind of in the place of reggie for now i wonder if reggie's gonna come back and be the earnest guy that she wants or 
if he's gonna fall right back into this like dichotomy of earnest and shallow if he's a farm boy it's possible that he's more earnest it is possible i'm excited to see him when he shows up but we're not there yet so after she made this choice to you know be by herself for a minute and deal with the shit that her parents have put her through and that trauma um we get answers mm-hmm. for what's going on about the 50s we do irl tabitha arrives the angel herself tabitha riverdale's guardian angel appearing before jughead is something i should get a point for it didn't happen exactly as i described but just like your event didn't happen exactly as described and you got a point for it i feel like i should get a point okay fine thank you um so she appears before him in pops not how i predicted um but she still appears before him as her angel true self only he can see her probably and she tells him that she used the very last of her strength to send them to the 50s they are in their prime timeline their prime universe just back a few years before the comet strikes in 57 or passes not strikes but they're there so that she can buy herself enough time to untangle the like cosmic mess that they've made of timelines and hopefully by the time that's done they will have created a better future for riverdale to come back to did you have thoughts about that i did once <laughs> um we're coming to you at eleven twenty-seven p.m and katie's an early bird <laughs> it's so evil of them to air this at 9 p.m i know it's so close to my bedtime (laughs) why would they do this to me your bedtime is long past if we're being honest you're so mean am i wrong though (laughs) you're so mean it's okay we normally do go to bed around 11 that's that's normal so anyway what did you think about this untangling the knots business i thought well, I was reminded of your theory of like the fractal universe, like everything gets a little bit shattered and messy, but we also got confirmation that these are all of the same characters from the future. They just don't remember anything that's been fully shut down. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> My way is cooler. It was pretty cool. It was more sci-fi. I feel like maybe... This season is truly pandering to the people who don't watch the show. And that's worrying me a little. I feel like they're trying to get the people who said it got weird and to just totally backtrack and be like, look how normal we are. Watch our normal show. I don't think it's going to be that normal. It's just pretty. It's just normal 50s. Nothing weird will happen. I think it's going to be like that for the first few episodes. And then a lot of weird shit's going to happen. I don't know. I'm losing faith. The fact that Jughead's beanie showed back up. Okay. Okay, true. True. What does that mean? I don't know. It could mean a couple of things. Like, so after after uh, the last Jabatha kiss to save the world, he's about to forget. The memories are slowly sl- fading from his mind. He runs back to his train car apartment and start, sits down at his typewriter and starts typing, but... Before he forgets everything, he only gets the words, bend towards justice onto the page. And then he looks up and his beanie's there. And he's that's something that he's never seen before after he forgets. 
And to me, this is where the title of the episode came in. He felt very much like Florence Pugh's character in Don't Worry Darling, where she's seeing all these signs, she knows something's wrong, but every time she wakes up, she just falls back into it and has her memory erased. So I think Jughead is going to keep finding out, or maybe he's going to like know that there's a mystery about this. Like, why is this here? Shouldn't be there. I've never seen this before, but it feels familiar. I think there's going to be like that emotional remembering versus the not actually remembering is going to be very conflicting for him. And his instinct as a character is to investigate. So I think he's going to write about his investigation. I think you're right. Yeah. I do worry a bit. About what? Lots of things. Like what? (laughs) Tell me, tell me. For example, the Vughead kiss. I thought for sure that was Jughead from the future trying to merge the universes like he did before. He already planned a Vughead kiss last season. Archie just murdered Veronica before they could go through with it. You're right. So maybe, I don't know. I think things are going to like hit the fan still. I do think that the events of Riverdale Prime will be bleeding into this universe. Like why else would his hat have come back? if Percival had it, you know, like, I think it's all going to start trickling in either in events or in physical objects. And so maybe he does remember at some point and, and that's a plan that he comes up with to try to like find some answers. Maybe he remembers something about a plot with Veronica to like save things and alter the timelines. I do have some beef to pick with this episode. One single beef bone, if you will. And it's not a huge bone, because frankly, I don't like this character that much anyway. Okay. But if next episode is supposed to be about trying to convince Fangs to be in the sock hop, why didn't we see him at any point? We saw Midge. (sighs) We did see Midge, but we didn't even get her name. So that was more for the people who already know, you know? I think it's more about convincing Cheryl that Fangs should perform. And it's possible that as a serpent, he's not no longer in school. He could be older than them in this timeline. Or something. I don't know. There, I agree he should have at least been like seen in the hallways. But it could have been a scheduling conflict. I don't know. Like I, I think it's more about convincing Cheryl to let him perform than it is about him as a character. I think he's a ruse for Shoni to happen. He's a vehicle for the transportation that their relationship is i thought i've seen pictures of fidge though fidge things midge for real i thought that's what i've seen i don't know (laughs) i have not seen that there's no moose and fangs is just walmart moose (laughs) he's just serpent moose is he serpent moose or is he walmart sweet pea Mm. No, Fangs has already always been superior to Sweet Pea. Sweet Pea was annoying. I kind of liked he's Sweet gone. Pea. No. <laughs> I liked that he was annoying. I liked his thing with Josie. He was such a simp. <laughs> he was like, I know you said it was the summer fling, but what if it wasn't? <laughs> like, yeah. He was real for that. He was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was always ready to fight. R.A.P. Sweet Pea, wherever you may be. So is that it for Don't Worry Darling? I think that wraps it up for Don't Worry Darling. What is your 
your point total for this episode? I got two points. I got 2.5. Let the games begin. You're just going to win because I'm so soft on you. I'm soft on you. I gave you a whole point. Not as soft as you could be. Could be softer. Well, this is a competition, baby. (laughs) (laughs) One of us is going to be more correct about what is happening in the future episodes that we haven't seen yet. Or maybe the show is truly unpredictably campy. And we cannot hack into the psyche of the writers. (laughs) We will either find out that the show is unpredictably campy or one of us will have several points per episode and make the same, the correct conclusions about the series finale. But that's unlikely. I think it is pretty campy. (laughs) This is just a fun way to test it. Wow. Good luck, Charlie. (laughs) Adios, Contaminos. Special thanks to Ben Chatwin for the iconic intro music. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Riverdale Writers Pod on all social platforms. If you are at all involved with the production of Riverdale, or you just want to say hi, email us at RiverdaleWritersPod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. TTFN!